Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 53 of the Observer's Notebook Podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication known as the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as a dollar a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public, and for $10 you receive a copy of the Observer's Notebook podcast, uh, the Observer's Notebook handbook, and for $35 you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you would like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And the Observer's Notebook podcast also has a Facebook page. Just search for Observer's Notebook. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now, enjoy the Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. I have with us today a special guest, Caitlin Arens. Is that how you say your last names? Arens. Arens, okay. Uh, she's a graduate of West Virginia University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Geology and Physics with an emphasis in astrophysics. So you're a astronomer-geologist. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I remember the day when astronomers did astronomy and geology did, geologists did geology. Yeah, me too. I think Harrison Schmidt's the one that changed uh, all that, I think, with Apollo 17 when we put him on the moon. Absolutely, yeah. But even through uh, through high school, I didn't even realize that you can combine the two. Yeah, now we've got these stinking biologists you know, hosing in on uh, astronomy as well. So I, I don't know <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do about these guys. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background information about yourself before you get started? There? I'm sorry, I think I cut out there. Oh, okay. Can you repeat that? Yeah, why don't you give us a little background information before we get started? Okay, uh, so I'm the Pluto manager uh, at the University of Arkansas, Arkansas Space Center for Space and Planetary Sciences. So what that entails is that uh, I make ice cocktails in my laboratory, and I'm now NASA funded uh, as of officially as of three weeks ago. So very excited and lots of cool experiments to uh, to come about for that. And we're in constant collaboration with uh, with New Horizons 
collaborators and other laboratories uh, across the nation to try to figure out uh, what all kinds of cool ices are on Pluto and other Kuiper Belt objects. Wow, that sounds really interesting. You just recently got funded, huh? Yep. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, now, we're going to talk today a little bit about Mars, though, because Mars is something I think you're kind of interested in, in as well. Yes. Uh, actually, before doing all, all the Pluto stuff right now, I used to work on Mars Global Surveyor data for a number of years, actually. So, uh, yes, Mars is still a, uh, my first favorite uh, in that regard. Okay. Well, Pluto needs some love, too, so it's good to see you giving that, that to Pluto. <laughs> um, okay. We're going to talk about Mars today and the geology of Mars, but who flew... Who, who f first influenced you to get into this field? I would probably have to say my father. Uh, he was uh, a huge science nerd uh, and having me watch uh, old sci-fi movies and then we would uh, like go out in the backyard with a telescope and he had me join uh, a local astronomy club at the age of 10 and it just kind of snowballed into uh, a really interesting hobby and then when I went into my undergraduate years at WVU I was like oh I can totally make this into a career mm -hmm. that's good now do you do observational astronomy still or is it pretty much you're out of that now I, I still do on occasion I have a good set of binoculars and I like to do like the occasional meteor showers ah. that's good keep yourself active with it mm-hmm that's good. Now, how did you get into this subject besides your father? I mean, you you, you took some classes and give us a little bit about, a little bit of background about that. So, I actually started out in radio astronomy uh, when I first went into WVU. I had heard that undergraduates can do research uh, during their undergraduate years, and so I was asking around to the professors, like, "Hey, does anybody have a project?" that I can work on. And WV was really big into radio astronomy, so I had worked on pulsars uh, for a little bit. And then I got an internship with the USGS Astrogeology Survey out in Arizona, and that was the, the start of Mars for me, and, uh, and then took off like a shot from there. <laughs> Yeah, this year in Mars has been pretty big. It was a great opposition we just had on Mars and a little dust storm to to throw in uh, uh, some excitement along the way and issues yeah. with, issues with uh, like the Curiosity rover and things like that. But we also have some missions upcoming, too. But what do you, I mean, what, what made Mars the way it is today, in a nutshell, if you can explain that? In a nutshell, I... <laughs> As far as the as far as the public eye yeah. of how do we see the planet? Yeah. I think it's truly the the rise in excitement with NASA as far as outreach goes. Uh, there for a while, um, or even when we were first mapping Mars, we thought that there were all these canals all over Mars and then that led into, well, there's gotta be civilizations. Uh, and that had a rise and then we realized, okay, no, that's really intricate geology and it just kind of fell by the wayside a little bit and then when we're starting to send these rovers to Mars I think the public got uh, excited again 
and and more so now now that we have the capability of sharing uh, all this incredible news that we're learning about Mars and it, just that excitement again so seeing the planet today right now it's like oh it's still active look at all these uh, dust storms look at all the uh, the sympathy that we're getting <laughs> with the opportunity rover you know it's like wake up Opie yeah. you know that <laughs> That was uh, that's incredible to get that kind of community feedback for a robot on Mars. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's very true. That's very true. I worked on uh, uh, Spirit and Opportunity years ago at JPL, and and to see at least one of the two still kind of barely alive is kind of nice, you know. Because I think when we did it, it was its lifespan was supposed to be 90 days. And, exactly. And it's and now been years, and it's pretty impressive technology that we did back then and it's still working for the most part today. Absolutely. And we're still going through the data. Right. And that's the thing. And probably will. For years. Yeah, that's true. Um, what accounts for the differences and similarities between the Earth and Mars? So that's actually a really fun question, uh, mainly because a lot of a lot of geology that we see on Mars, we send out geologists all over the planet Earth to try to figure out, oh, well, we see volcanoes on Mars. Let's try to study the volcanoes in Iceland and Hawaii and see if we can come up with some similar hypothesis or uh, glaciers uh, around the Greenland and Iceland area. Could they match glaciers that we see on Mars? So similarities as far as geology goes is fantastic. But the real major difference is that Earth has plate tectonics. We're still a very geologic active planet. Mars is a very dormant uh, and small terrestrial planet with no plate tectonics, uh, or at least current uh, plate tectonics anyways. So then that gets into some interesting geologic debates of how such huge humongous volcanoes on right. Mars would have been able to form as opposed to Earth where you have uplifting and thrust faults and, uh, and tectonics. Would they have to do with, with the, the existence of water at one point on Mars though? Absolutely, yeah. Some of the, especially some of the channels, uh, some of the outflows that we still see uh, and then some seasonal changes, if anything else, even if the water is not active now as far as geology goes, water is active so much more on Mars as far as seasons go. So we're seeing some uh, some like dunes uh, frosting and defrosting with seasons. We have uh, the recurring slope linear with RSLs, uh, gully formations. That's certainly a current process but more or less with seasons <laughs> yeah much like a polar cap I mean we, that's something we've observed for years absolutely yeah huh. um, interesting uh, you mentioned plate tectonics and this to go off track a little bit you have also also have a keen interest in earthquakes I do I do okay well I live in Southern California help me out here <laughs> when can we start predicting these things <laughs> I am trying my best. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. We'll work on that, will you? There are a lot of people. Not, I'd rather live in Southern California than anywhere we have tornadoes. So I'll, I'll say that. 
Oh, I hear ya. I, you know, being in Arkansas and we get, uh, you know, testing of the tornado sirens every once in a while. It's fun. Uh, I'm sure it is, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll take a little earth shatter every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Yeah. Now, with the different weather, the, the wind, the water, the volcanism, tectonics, you know, how has that formed the Martian surface today? Uh, especially wind, if anything else. Wind and, and some crater, uh, cratering, uh, but certainly wind with this uh, latest global dust storm. Uh, and then what we see with dunes, and then we have uh, dust devils as well. We're really starting to see uh, a better sense of how wind is modifying the surface. And it's not just dunes where you have a, a pile of sand and, it, and oh, look, it moved. But in the sense of, okay, what kind of mineralogy is involved if we want to send drones to Mars at one point, at some point, uh, how would those drones interact uh, with that dust? You know, can it deal with dust, if anything else? Um, if we want to build habitats on Mars at some point, too, how could we sort of combat uh all that dust because the wind really isn't that bad you have a hundred mile per hour wind on earth is about 11 miles per hour on mars uh due to pressure differences but the amount of dust that hangs in the air however can be extremely dangerous if we want to send people to mars or even even drones uh so as far as the wind goes it's it's huge uh it plays a huge role uh, on the current Martian surface. Yeah, and I, I, I think I've read that the Mars 2020 mission plans on bringing a, a drone along with it. That's what I've heard, and I really hope that's uh, that will become a thing. I know they've done some testing up in Idaho and I believe Utah as well, that they've tested it with uh, dust devils. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the propellers on the thing must be huge. So I mean, to, to propel it to get up in the air. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds interesting to see that. I, I just recently got into the drone world. I'm just recently bought a drone and started to fly it. And I'm like, I don't know how this would work on Mars. I'm, I'm sure there's people a lot smarter than me to figure out how to do that. Oh, it's it's so interesting to see the designs of these drones. And I feel like every time that another uh, blip comes up about drones, I, the design keeps changing. So I honestly don't know what it's going to look like in the end, but I really do hope it works because that would be a very interesting step toward learning about not just dust, because in a geologist's point of view, uh, dust is definitely part of geology, but also atmosphere, atmospheric uh, conditions, and then all the at, uh, planetary atmosphere people will be happy as well. <laughs> you got to make everybody happy. Now, yeah. Now with, with all the current missions going on and the ones up, what are you, what are you looking forward to? I'm honestly really looking forward to uh, where they're going to land. Uh, the Mars 2020 mission, uh, the official landing site is actually going to be announced in two weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see which, uh, which landing site they'll have. They have it narrowed down to three as of this past February. Um so, and each of them have a very specific, different kind of geology. What, what are the um, different sites? Do you know, do you know? 
Yeah, so the first one is Columbia Hills in Gusev Crater. Uh, so this is actually where Spirit, uh, where the Spirit River is. But we want to continue what Spirit had started. Um, and uh, and figure out some of the, the cool stuff in that crater. Uh, the second site is Yazero Crater. Uh, and it used to be a, a active river channel. And apparently how it's formed, or from, from high-rise images, we have seen it either like it would drain and then fill up again and then drain in cycles. And so mm-hmm. we're wondering if there's like lake bed sediments and then there's like uh, that kind of layering and there might be some like fossilized microbial bacteria in there and that would be really cool. <laughs> Search for uh, and then the, Yeah, that would be... Yeah, uh, Mars 2020 mission certainly has a, a bulk of uh, of a biological uh, turn to it, right. if anything else. And then the third one is Northeast Sirtis uh, area, in which case that will be our first look at how a volcanic area, a very active or used to be active volcanic area, how did it react to water nearby? So there's lake beds really close to the volcanic area. And we want to see how, uh, what kind of minerals may have formed out of that interaction. Now, do you have a now preference you have a you'd, like you'd like to see? Honestly, I, I pick for Northeast Sirtis, but... Uh, Is that because, that because of the greater chance greater for water? Chance, water? chance for water, but then in a geologic sense, that, that interaction between volcanics and water uh, and certainly minerals... Uh, just in the past uh well actually yeah just in the past decade we found two new minerals that are associated with mars that have never been found on earth and so having that realization of oh there's the there could be these new minerals of different interactions that we may not get here on earth <laughs> interesting interesting okay. well we'll see yeah. we'll see if we'll we'll you're right <laughs> <laughs> now, another uh, mission, mission coming up, coming up uh, later this year, this year is uh, the Insight Insight. Yes, I'm very, very excited about that because that will be our first uh, real seismometer on Mars. So having uh, a background on seismology and earthquakes, I'm very, very excited about Insight. Uh, so that will actually be landing in uh, uh, near the end of November. Uh, let me yeah, see. Let me insight see. stands for Exploration using Site Investigation, Geodesy, and Transport. I think that's right. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've worked with NASA for years and years. That's the longest acronym I've ever known. Never, never. But it sounds like it sounds like it all. It all. It's going to be really interesting, though. So I hope. I'm sure it'll work out well. I just hope uh, we get some really cool data out of it. Are you actively involved, involved in any of these missions? missions? Not necessarily, but I I do have uh, I do know some people that I keep in contact of. Like, let me know, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let okay. me know how the data goes, and uh, and so on. That's good. Now, now you're, you're, you're you're focusing, focusing on, on, on Pluto, Pluto a little bit. Uh, talk, talk to me about, to me about, about the project you're working on. Right. So, uh, so I go back and forth between my laboratory experiments 
uh, with Pluto so I can simulate uh, Pluto down the 10K uh, temperatures in my lab. And uh, I make ice mixtures and see uh, what kind of spectral signatures can we get out of it and could we potentially read the New Horizons data that had come in. Uh, and then in turn... Uh, I also look at some of the geophysical processes that we are potentially seeing on Pluto, uh, whether that's some of the uh, cryovolcanic processes that we see. Um, I am specifically looking at some of the mountain building kind of kind of geophysics uh, that we see on Pluto, because there's some really interesting uh, mountain chains on Pluto. So that's currently what I'm working on, but I'm kind of bouncing all over the place it, it's really fun <laughs> yeah no yeah no Pluto, Pluto, Pluto is a dwarf dwarf right that's what we're calling it now. now could you repeat that what's the term we use Pluto not dwarf planet oh yes <laughs> uh, so um, uh, Phil Mitzger if you've seen uh, all that news uh it's been on it's certainly been on twitter right. uh recently though but the whole uh, um dwarf planet planet titling thing has been uh, very interesting to read they're trying to create a classify it again aren't they yeah exactly and i grew i grew up with the keep it the way the way it was <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I grew up with Pluto being a planet as well, uh, but I I can see that, uh, you know, we we shouldn't have to have called it a dwarf planet. Um, you can see the arguments that uh, that um, Phil Metzger has, has put out there on the news for now, but... Uh, but I think the media has actually, you know, we called it a reclassification and the media kind of took that as a declassification. Right, right, and then right, it, it's right. been kind of muddied waters ever since. And I think we need to bring the public back into common ground with us planetary people again, because, you know, we, we let it by the wayside for too long. And if it's becoming a, a thing again, we we need to... We need to bring it back on level ground. I think it's only going to be correct, correct, correct to make it a plan against the world we're living in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Oh, so, so, you have, so, you have anything else you want to share with us? Uh, keep being excited about all the Mars missions coming up. And uh, you know what? The year 2020 to 2024 is going to have a huge increase of missions because we have Bepi Colombo coming up. Um, actually, the Chang'e lunar mission is going to land uh, within the month, I believe, on the moon, and uh, so that'll be the Chinese lunar rover. And uh, oh goodness, we have Europa Clipper in the works. I uh, we're hope to find out about uh, the Dragonfly versus Caesar missions. Uh, next year, so that'll be something to really look forward to. So there's a lot of really cool, exciting stuff to look forward to. Right. And where do you where do you want to go in your career? Postdoc, preferably somewhere. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd like to stick with planetary geophysics, uh, and uh, 
but I have a background in Pluto, Mars, and a little bit of Ceres and Titan. So at this point, planetary or lunar surfaces anywhere. <laughs> come on, come on, California, California, California play JPL for a while. For a while. I'll be fine by me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great, it's a great story. I've worked here for many years. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, well, Caitlin I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much. All right, all right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. All right, thank you. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our special guest, Caitlin Ahrens, for coming on and talking to us about Mars and all sorts of other things she's been working on. And I want to apologize for the horrible audio on my side. Um, I tried fixing it in post, and I just couldn't get it done, and I really apologize. We haven't had a problem like that in a while. So I will figure out what happened, and I promise not to make that happen on any future episodes. You can upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I appreciate it. You can also listen to us on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. You can also support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. The link is in the show notes. And with that, I'd like to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. Thanks a lot, Steve. The link for Patreon, is, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. If you want to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $14 a year. You can find out more at alpo-astronomy.org. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.